This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Today on CityCast Chicago, Governor Pritzker proposes a $53 billion budget, how the Field Museum is enacting new regulations on indigenous artifacts, and back-to-back is nice, but a three-peat is even better. Breaking it all down this week is freelance journalist Britt Julius and Axios Chicago social host Moyo Adeolu. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Good morning, Britt. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me again. We are always happy to have you. And Moyo, welcome to CityCast Chicago for your very first time. Thank you. I'm super excited. (laughs) Earlier this week on the podcast, we met with some of our friends from over at The Infatuation to talk about some of uh, Chicago's best speakeasy supper clubs and some of its favorite hidden restaurants. One of my favorite things to do on the podcast is to get weekend plans from the people who are on the show. It makes it much easier for me. Uh, So, Britt, I want to start with you. What's one of your favorite speakeasies or recommendation you got for the CityCast folks? Um, I mean, my recommendations are probably not too hip. I feel like once I turned 30, I kind of, you know, just got out of the loop when it came to like restaurants, at least, you know, um, but uh, or bars. But I always have really loved Blind Barber for their music mm-hmm. lineup, their DJ lineup. Um, just always have a great time there. Um, they are, you know, in an area of the West Loop that is not necessarily very progressive music wise. They, um, you know, will bring in some some DJs who, you know, do things that are a little bit different. Violet Hour was the first one I ever went to and still kind of holds like a nice place in my heart. That was, you know, sort of when my friends and I were trying to, you know, we're like, oh, we're cool and cute, whatever. And, you know, making no money, (laughs) but it was a nice experience. Um, And I feel like one that I went to last year with a couple of my friends, initially thinking it was going to be very cheesy, but I actually really loved it, was the Magic Lounge um, in Mm -hmm. Andersonville. No, I swear Simone has put us on that one. So people got love for it. It's so great. Like, it's it's so like it's good. It just I don't know. Like you think like I don't like this, but it's perfect. I love it. I ain't gonna lie. I I love to live in the memories of being the friend who introduced a couple of other friends to Blind Barber. Like, I don't know, six years ago, uh, six, seven years ago that Good, good times. Yes. Uh, Moyo, do you have a speakeasy recommendation, a place you like to go to get a drink in Chicago? You know, so I was telling you guys, I just moved back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm actually like learning new places myself, if I'm being very honest. Um, just yesterday was National Margarita Day. And I actually, this is not, we went to Bodega. Uh-huh. which is like a taco Mexican joint. But then they showed me their own version of their speakeasy behind um, the, the, I guess you can say the restaurant area. Um, I know of room 13, but I'm, I'm still learning. I'm just adjusting and coming back to Chicago. So I'm going to take your recommendations though. Hey, we gave you a, a, a new, um, 
a, a new thing to be looking out for, a new list for you uh, yes. to discover over the next uh, few months. Uh, but if people want to see some of our, our larger recommendations, make sure you check out our episode from earlier this Wednesday uh, with our friends Adrian and John. If you're new to CityCast Chicago, every Friday we like to bring in some great voices from across the city of Chicago to talk about the stories that were important to them, the stories they were working on, their colleagues were working on. And this week, Governor Pritzker came out and gave his state of the state and his budget proposal. And let's just hit the big number again. $53 billion uh, is what the the governor is asking uh, for lawmakers to vote on. And that includes everything from uh, tax increases for businesses, tax breaks for families with children under three uh, and includes new money for arrivals uh, and, and the growing number of asylum seekers in Illinois. Axio Chicago did a, a nice breakdown. Our friends Justin and Kerry were all over uh, Governor Pritzker's uh, budget proposal. Uh, Moyo, what were some highlights uh, that people want to watch out for? Yeah, definitely. We've been really covering the Axios reporters have been covering the migrant crisis here in Chicago and how Pritzker is going to approach that. Of course, a lot of the Republicans are not really pleased with his approach um, because it's pretty much kind of citizens versus non-citizens and how he's allocating a lot of money to um, non-citizens. Pritzker is, you know, pushing some some big money behind it for for new arrivals, which, again, uh, for people who may have not been paying attention, just here in Chicago, we're approaching 40,000 uh, new arrivals having been uh, sent via Texas, via Florida. Uh, and the governor is asking for one hundred and eighty one million dollars. Him and Mayor Johnson at times have seemed at odds about their approach in terms of housing, temporary shelter, uh, how to get work visas to people. Uh, so we will continue to kind of uh, navigate uh, how each of these individuals are, are, are spending the money they're asking for because Mayor Johnson in his own budget uh, has allocated $150 million, and people are wondering uh, how that's going to be spent throughout the year. They also talked about medical debt, and I was really pleased to see how Pritzker approached that um, issue and how he wants to kind of combat health insurance um, reforms and mm-hmm. how he wants to make sure that people are first of all, staying alive, right? But then also getting the best healthcare possible um, for the patient. So I was really pleased to see how he approached that, as well as um, maternal mortality rates for Black women. That is something that the Senate, you know, and not in the Senate, but across the U.S., people have been talking about how so many people of color are sometimes not treated correctly, right, in in your your everyday doctor office or how unfortunately black women are um, dying when it comes to um, when it comes to giving birth compared to white women. So I'm really Mm -hmm. um, interested to see how the lawmakers approach that um, legislation. Uh, when we talk about medical debt, uh, the governor is putting up money to to potentially $10 million to erase medical debt for 364,000 Illinois residents. You know, we spent so much time talking about student loan debt, but it is often medical debt in addition to that you know, breaks people financially. You know, so many of us, uh, you know, may be one, two tragedies away from from real financial ruin. And for for a lot of people, and I know in my family as well, uh, medical debt can be a big source of stress. Uh, and then you talked about how lawmakers are being asked to approach um, 
you know, the disproportionate rate at which uh, black women died during childbirth. And Governor Prisker says he wants to to uh, give a, a million dollar grant to fund opening birthing centers, including the new Chicago Southside Birth Center. Uh, and he pledged to ensure that doulas, midwives and lactation consultants are classified as medical health care providers. Britt, I want to bring it over to you. The The big picture here is Axios reminds us the state is nearly facing a billion dollar deficit. And so Pritzker has a big hole to fill through that. We may see tax breaks for families with, with young children. We may also see potential tax hikes on large businesses. Uh, what are you watching for throughout uh, this sort of state budget season, you know, especially as we're getting prepared for for a, a nationwide and local election? Um, in an election season, right, um, people have a tendency to see things in black and white um, and to sort of process things in black and white, right? But um, these sort of budget initiatives, um, if they, you know, kind of go through will really um, affect the average everyday person. Um, I wasn't you know, aware of the extent of what he had sort of included um, in his budget plans, but hearing specifically about things like medical debt, which we all know um, is, you know, can be really dire for people, but it's not really discussed um, pretty much at all. Um, and oftentimes, you know, a large swath of medical debt could be excluded just from, um, you know, they'll sort of, they'll reduce the numbers down, right? So they'll say like, 500,000 is owed, but if you pay 250,000, then we'll wipe all of it out, right? So those kind of, you know, initiatives and plans um, can really affect people on that day-to-day sort of basis. And that's what I'm sort of looking um, for as well. Because I think those are the things that are going to be especially impactful for people. And they can sort of point to and look at and be like, okay, um, I may not agree with everything, but this particular thing affects my life and I have found some relief from it. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. One thing many advocates are asking both the governor and the mayor to do more is is be more transparent and increase funding uh, for survivors and advocates for gender based violence. Uh, and one exhibit that you wrote about, Britt, um, really sort of gets at the heart of this issue and why it is so important uh, that we be raising our voices and drawing more attention. Can you tell people a little bit more about the Black Girlhood Altar? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I wrote about uh, Black Girlhood Altar specifically. Um, uh, for Cultured Magazine, um, and it is an ex- uh, a continuation of a piece that has gone up at a variety of different um, local as well as um, national sort of organizations, institutions, and things like that, including the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Chicago, um, created by um, Sherazade Tillett and Robert Narciso um, from A Long Walk Home. Um, It really sort of shines a spotlight on violence, um, murder, and sort of sex-based crimes that uh, typically affect Black women or black girls. Um, and so with the expansion of um, this exhibit at the Chicago Cultural Center um, as part of the Chicago Architectural Biennial, um, it really uh, allowed the creators to sort of shine a light on a larger number of um, victims. It's a really sort of immersive experience, takes you through three different rooms. I remember when I first saw it at the MCA a couple years ago, it was just in one room and now it's you know expanded to three rooms. And it's not just sort of 
focusing on the trauma as it kind of currently stands um, or what it was, but also looking at, you know, sort of what happens in terms of healing, recovery, hope and change for the future. The exhibit is called Freedom Square, the Black Girlhood Altar. It's on view at the Chicago Cultural Center through March 10th. Uh, Britt, Chicago has a, a rich tradition across cultures of offerendas, of altars. What can people expect to see when they go and how are they being asked to interact uh, or you know, maybe even take part in the altar in their own way? Absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, as the um, exhibit has grown from stop to stop, um, you know, Sherazade has added new pieces to the altar. Oftentimes Sometimes people who, um, you know, view it, witness it, they want to provide something as well. Um, you know, in one room, um, there will, there's an altar that has, you know, flowers, roller skates, um, you know, uh, kind of childlike makeup and candles and like baby dolls and things like that. So really kind of representing um, uh, girlhood and uh, joy and beauty and the things that, um, you know, we really cherish that are often sort of taken from us. I think as well, you know, sort of knowing the scope of the um, violence that was enacted on, you know, the um, women and girls who are sort of featured in this um, exhibition, these kind of items as well really sort of hint at or point to the fact that innocence is often taken from um, young Black girls at a much earlier age than, you know, girls of other races or ethnicities and things like that. So it's sort of like a reclamation and saying like, you know, we're bringing you back to, um, you know, a time in your life when you should have, you know, been protected and, and safe um, and just allowed to have um, joy and freedom in your life so when you did you've gone to see the the exhibit in person what was it like for for you to walk through it but but also as you you saw other people kind of experiencing it what was it like to to be there um for, for what i imagine it's both a, a singular and collective experience simultaneously yeah, um, it was really um, powerful, you know, especially for me, like the um, difference between I when I saw the sort of first um, example of it at the Museum of Contemporary Art to see it now in three different rooms. It was really sort of um, it was really moving. Um, actually, I, I um, cried a lot. Right. Um, and just sort of uh, also for me, sort of um, connecting my own past, my own history, my own experiences as, you know, a black girl black woman now in Chicago um, to these stories of other women and other girls and sort of knowing, unfortunately, we have this kind of shared history, right? And oftentimes, you know, most women have um, this shared history of, of trauma. Um, but it was also really sort of... Um, uh, motivating. Um, and there was a kind of like a sense of release as well. Um, specifically like going into, uh, the rest and recess room, it's called rest and recess, the courtyard. And, you know, it's a powerful exhibit, but it's also, um, one that's a little unexpected, you know, for being included in, you know, the architectural biennial, right? So it really makes you think about how place and environment, um, you know, plays a role for us outside of like homes or skyscrapers or buildings like that. Um, but also, you know, know, in terms of um, parks or just sort of, you know, being on the street, walking down the street, the neighborhoods that we live in, um, you know, just it really brings a lot of questions to mind. So the Black Girlhood Altar is uh, still at the Chicago Cultural Center through March 10th. Uh, make sure you're uh, you're able to check that out.
Moyo, when we talk about the current state of local journalism, um, local lawmakers, journalism industry leaders who recently filed a report to the General Assembly about the current state of local journalism, but also ways that uh, they're trying to, in, in some ways, revive and incentivize people. The, the task force created said that one third of Illinois counties have either no source of local news or a single source uh, coming out of the Northwestern University and Medill School of Journalism. Uh, what role do you think, uh, you know, uh, not only you leveraging social media, but, you know, outlets like Axio Chicago play and sort of, you know, um, reengaging in, uh, people in local journalism? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so unfortunate because those numbers, it, it's sad, right? Mm-hmm. I actually... Um, I got my master's in public affairs reporting in Springfield. And that is also there, you know, there's been reports of the Springfield State House, the reporters there have, they have seen a decline um, about roughly like 10 reporters now, where I think it was in two, in 2000, there was 70 people and they're down to 10. Um, and that's including, right, the photographer, the editor. So it's not even just reporters. So it's really unfortunate um, to see that decline. When you you listen to your audience, when you're out doing your, your interviews on the street, I, I, I often feel like that there's this sense that this decline is sort of put on the audience, that like the audience is not engaging. But but I'm hearing that people, they do have a, a, a thirst for local news, for for uh, for local events, for, for uh, you know, uh, knowledge about their city. I, that's the audience that I've sort of come in contact with. Are you are you finding it, uh, you know, difficult or, or are you finding that people are, are, are really happy about the offerings you're giving them? I think it's a little bit of both. I think to your point, yes, people are not engaged, right? Because there's so much being thrown at us, right? Whether it's a viral TikTok, whether it's hardcore news on TikTok, there's just so much going on. And the our jobs, right, as reporters, our jobs as journalists is how can we quickly capture their attention and get them engaged. And we only have, what, two, five seconds to quickly grab them before they scroll up. Yo, my name is Jacoby. I want to teach you something real quick. Stick around. That's true. We have 30 seconds, right? Of course, we have the, the five seconds to grab their attention. But now we have their attention. Let's say you do a 30-second, 60-second Instagram reel. What can you teach them? What local news can you provide to them in that 45 seconds and how can it benefit them and then draw them back to you. So I think um, it, it's 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 up to both of us, right? The consumers and then us as the journalists, as the experts. Britt, one story that uh, I sort of missed over the last month and a half was uh, new federal regulations that took effect requiring museums to get consent from tribes before exhibiting certain indigenous cultural items and artifacts. Um, And the Field Museum, Beloved Museum in Chicago, right, has entire exhibits of uh, Native American and indigenous artifacts, and they have started making changes. Uh, Can you kind of catch people up who may be going to the Field Museum and not know, uh, you know, why some things are on display why some things are removed. 
Yeah, so um, these uh, sort of new rules, um, they help strengthen what um, is called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Act, excuse me, or NAGPRA. Um, so it was uh, actually became a, a law, a federal law that was enacted um, in 1990. But what has happened in the you know 34 years since it was um, uh, enacted is that these uh, museums that are essentially supposed to be um, you know consulting with different um, you know uh, uh, Native organizations, um, Native Hawaiian organizations, other sort of um, agencies and tribes um, in terms of uh, sort of you know, repatriating um, these specific items and things that are sort of on display in their museums. It's not actually been happening in the way that, you know, it was really intended to. Um, a lot of museums and organizations have been sort of finding loopholes or really sort of keeping things up for display, um, allowing them to sort of skirt the rules and, and things like that. So um, these new guidelines, they specifically talk about um, items that are for um, uh, dispossession or repatriation of human remains. Um, funerary objects, sacred objects, um, as well as um, sort of other um, items that um, might have been found in those particular types of, of means. Um, and, you know, there are some institutions that have been sort of pushing back against it. Um, they've been saying, you know, it takes away some of their autonomy in terms of the management of their collections for um, their museums. My policy would be give that shit back. Yes, so. exactly. Right. And it's it's, you know, Julia Jacobs from the New York Times, um, she covered this really well and that she was sort of um, talking about like what types of objects are off display now and what types of objects are on display. These new rules um, came into effect in uh, January of this year, right? So um, something like uh, like ear ornaments um, are off display. Um, those, you know, typically might have been used for funerary objects or in funerary processions versus uh, an Inuit bag, which is sort of considered more like an everyday tool or accessory. Those are still on display. If you head to the Field Museum, you should notice some of those uh, display cases will have black coverings over them. The museum spokespeople say they are reaching out um, to the uh, appropriate tribes, the appropriate descendants uh, to try and figure out um, if things can go on uh, display again or if they have to be permanently removed. Every single episode of City Cash Chicago ends the same way, and it ends with some good news. This can be an event that's happening in your life, some personal news, a good story you read this week. Uh, Moyo, what is your good news for our City Cash people today? I love the voice. So <laughs> some good news is I attended the Burna Boy concert in Chicago this week um, at the Wintrust Arena um, in the South Loop area. And as a Nigerian American, um, I was really proud to see him. First of all, his his growth, right, in recent mm -hmm. years. He also performed at the Grammys this month. He was the first Afrobeats artist to perform at the Grammys. And the Grammys also created their first um, African category for Best Performer. So it's really exciting. And honestly, the crowd was so diverse in Chicago. Honestly, mm -hmm. it was truly amazing to see so many people from different walks of life attend and really enjoy his music. 
and it was it was a great Wednesday night. Um, yeah. We're back at work, but it, it was a good time. And I, I'm really, I'm proud of him and I'm excited to see that Afrobeats is having a presence in mainstream media and a lot of artists are collaborating with them. Seriously, we were about speakeasies earlier. Let's be real. At this point, if your set does not include Afrobeats, it's not complete. It's not legit at this point. Like, it, you, you got to be blending. You have to be mixing. You got to give people their whole songs at this point. And so most great nights that I go out at this point where I come home and it was like the music was good, it at some point in, in included both some some mainstream and some Afrobeat songs that I had never heard. And so, uh, Britt, let's move it over to you. What is your some good news? Um, I have two things. So first thing, um, the Old Town School of Folk Music, they are launching their inaugural Black History Month symposium. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, for this year, it's called Black History Folk Futures. Um, and so uh, they're going to have a keynote address, but they're really sort of looking at the history of, you know, Black musical heritage, um, specifically like in the United States and how that has sort of um, impacted uh the music that we listen to to this day. So they'll have some sessions on black gospel music, on disco demolition and house music, on um, hip hop. Um, so it's just really kind of exciting to um, have this new sort of uh, event happening. And it's gonna include um, a performance from Angel Bat DeWeed, who I love, is fantastic, brilliant. So um, I think it's gonna be a really great event. That's this Saturday um, at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Um, and then just for me personally, um, I'm really excited. Uh, I have an essay that I wrote about growing up as, um, you know, a black girl in Chicago, um, you know, originally from the West side, Austin area, moving to, uh, the suburbs called notes on summer. It's going to be in a new book from belt publishing called best of the rust belt. Um, it was previously in a book that they had called rust belt Chicago. Um, but this is taking, um, this new book is taking essays from other books that they've released that have included essays on areas from Pittsburgh to Gary, Indiana, to St. Louis, to Milwaukee, to Cleveland, um, and to Chicago as well. So I'm very excited about that. And it comes out in July. So uh, you can pre-order it now. Congrats. I love that. Come on. Drop a link for us. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes for you, my G. Awesome. I will definitely do that. Uh, we love that for you. Uh, and in that spirit, I will finish us out. Uh, my good news, I want to give a huge thank you to all of the people who voted for the Chicago Readers Best of Chicago 2023. Uh, especially, I want to thank all of the people uh, who listen to CityCast Chicago, who read Hey Chicago. Uh, the podcast was named the best podcast in the city for the third year in a row. Oh, nice. And we've only been around for three years, and so that, that that kind of feels cool. I kind of feel like Wayne Gretzky or something, you know, three years, three MVPs or something. And so uh, we are very grateful because it wouldn't happen without all of the voters, uh, all of the people who took part. And so if you want to see that entire list, all of the categories, uh, we will drop a link in the show notes. Uh, we really enjoy making this podcast. And one of the reasons is because every week we get to sit down and talk to amazing folks like y'all. So I want to give a huge thank you again to our guest today, freelance journalist Britt Julius. Thank you for making time for CityCast, my friend. Thank you. And Axio Chicago social host Moyo Adeolu, thank you for making time. Thank you for having me. Before I let you go, I got to give a huge thank you to the people responsible for CityCast Chicago being a three-time Best of Chicago podcast winner. That's for executive producer Simone Alisea, 
Our producer, Michelle Navarro. Our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden. Additional work this week from roving newsletter editor, Natalia Aldana. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If this is your first episode of CityCast Chicago, stick around, but also engage some of the other ways you can get down with us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CityCast Chicago. You can visit our website, chicago.citycast.fm. For everything from the latest headlines, weekend events, and neighborhood guides, but also if you got episode ideas reach out to us we want to hear them leave us a text or a voicemail at 773-780-0246 and of course uh the the best way to show that you love us subscribe to the daily news that hey chicago and be back here bright and early on monday i'm gonna talk to you then peace